Zara, I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor. It's the new film, Challenges. It's from the director of Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagnino, and stars and is produced by none other than our girl Zendaya. Yeah, you know I love her. You love her too. I love her so much. Zendaya plays Tashi Duncan, a former tennis prodigy turned coach who is married to a Grand Slam champion, currently on a losing streak. And if that's not bad enough, Tashi's strategy to help her husband break his curse sort of takes a surprising and awkward turn. Hmm, awkward indeed. Because now he must face off against his former best friend and Tashi's ex-boyfriend, Patrick. Zara, the tensions are running high. I know. Tashi's someone who makes no apologies for her game on and off the court. It's her game, her rules, but with her past and present colliding, Tashi must face reality and ask herself, what will it cost to win? Challenges is the sexy drama that everyone's talking about and it's definitely not one you want to miss. It's about passion, friendship and what happens when your past comes back to challenge you. You can grab a ticket from Tuesday the 26th. So grab your friends and get excited. I will be grabbing you and we are definitely going to be going to watch it. Oh, please. Thank you so much to Challenges for making this episode of Shameless possible. Welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart women who love dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne journalists Michelle Andrews, that is you, and Zara McDonald. I just sneezed like four times before we got on air, so hopefully no sneezes during the recording today. I somehow managed to drop my headphones onto my face. <laughs> You are slightly hungover. It's been a while since I've recorded hungover, so this will be a ride. (laughs) Coming up on today's show, how a Survivor contestant was the recipient of GoFundMe's third biggest fundraiser ever, the Bachelor contestant with a suspiciously slash cleverly timed weight loss program, and the influencer who sparked a racist furor this week. But first, Michelle, how was your week? Do I even have to ask? Play the Richmond theme song behind everything I say in this podcast. We won the preliminary final and I was there on level one with my mum, Vicky, and my sister, Claire. And I'm not kidding, Zara. I was jubilant. Jubilant doesn't even cover it. I had so much fun. We sang the song maybe four or five times before we decided to go to the station and go home. And then once I got home to my mum's place, we watched the replay again. It's such a dorky football family thing to do, to go to the game and then go home and watch the replay. But I do love it. Like, it's funny. I did reply to your Instagram story and I think I said something like... Losers. Yeah, with ex- a lot of exclamation marks. I also listened to Damien Hardwick, who is the Richmond coach, for those not not aware. I listened to his press conference on my drive home, and then once I got home, I watched the highlights before I went to sleep, which was 2 a.m. by the time I got oh my So I, I was out last night, and I was fending all of these bloody Facebook group pending posts of people congratulating. People were very lovely to you, but I had to keep deleting them, being like, I cannot let through like 40 congratulatory messages to you about Richmond. I think everyone's on board the Tiggy train, and I'm so excited. Tiggy- Welcome, guys. I'm on board. Yeah, are you though? Absolutely. So you'll go for Tigers in the grand final? Yeah, I will. Okay. I'm a big bandwagoner. Yeah, you are. Find me a bandwagon, I'm on it. Yeah. Look, I don't have tickets to the grand final, so I'm going to try and hustle to – I don't even use the word hustle. There you go. I'll hustle whatever way I can get a ticket. If someone's listening to this and they have a spare ticket – 
I will do whatever it takes. Like I, I will, I will sell out. I can be bought. I will do whatever I need to do. I'll put that out there. That can go on your headstone though, just generally. And outside the realm of Richmond tickets, Michelle Andrews can be bought. I can be bought. I have a price. So please come talk to me. If you have a ticket, I will do whatever it takes. That was quite shameless, but I appreciate it. I have always thought that the one thing you would use and abuse this podcast for would be football tickets. I'm trying to work out what I would use and abuse this podcast for. Tickets to the Maldives. Maldives? I kind of did it to try and find a boyfriend. (laughs) (laughs) Tommy Little. Anyway. But you have a boyfriend now, so it's fine. No, but I mean the love, it's everyone. <laughs> <laughs> kind of. It's a bit of a shameless, hey, I'm single. <laughs> if anyone wants to come running. Oh <laughs> and it worked. So what could we say? Yeah, I wouldn't say it came running. Uh, I do have a recommendation this week. It's a bit of an unusual one, but we are actually launching our spring charity merch. If you're a new listener, Shameless Media does a seasonal charity merch drop for the four seasons of the year because there are four of them. Good counting. We had our summer drop with T-shirts. We had our winter drop with hoodies. And now we're doing our spring drop with long sleeve shirts. That sounds like they're like... Your furrowed eyebrows are quite interesting. How, long they're sleeve not, shirts, but they're, they're just, not... They're long sleeve t-shirts. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. And I love these ones because they say hyperbolic on them. They do. They're quite pretty and they've got a bit of cursive <laughs> cursiveness to it. We should be banned from describing the merch. Colby, who makes our merch, will be so upset at our description right now. But yes, they are going on sale this week. Keep an eye on our socials, on our Facebook group and our Instagram. The proceeds are going. Our proceeds, about $10 from every top Michelle, goes to the Sacred Heart Women's House. So the women's shelter. We also donated our last drop to Sacred Heart Mission. But Michelle and I actually went to visit the women's house last week and were pretty moved by the work they do and how much money they desperately need. And I think it's much better for us or we felt it was much more important for us to see where everyone's money was going to make sure that it was doing good and important work. And we have such faith that that money is going to a brilliant cause. Absolutely. And the women's house has about 600 women come through the doors every single month. So if they can help those women in need who are very vulnerable and perhaps living on the streets, then we think that's a great way to direct your money and our money because they need the cash like yeah products help but the women's house needs funds and we think it's a great cause to get behind so please grab a merch tea this week they'll be going on sale for the next few weeks i think ten dollars from every shirt straight to the women's house zara how was your week my week was good it was great what did i do work to be michelle worked with you <laughs> i never prepped my answer to this fucking question how have you not prepped again well i'm actually settling into my new abode Oh, yes. How is it going? It's great. It's actually really fun. I say that as someone who's been over to your new abode maybe like three times this week already. No, it's going really good. I'm having a wonderful time. I was recommended the other night from um, someone that I used to work with, this great Instagram page that I actually sent you that I've just started following called The Daily Oz, which is bite-sized news headlines on your Instagram page. And I think we're often talking on the podcast in the Facebook group about how to get those bite-sized news headlines in a way that's really easy. This is a really brilliant put together Instagram page. It's just the the headlines on your Instagram stories every day and it's really beautifully put together. So I would very much recommend that. I'll put the link in our show notes. Yes, that's the daily AUS. It always confuses me when people do Oz, but AUS. How would you pronounce Oz? It's still Oz if it's AUS. still Oz, but some people might put OZ. Totally agree with you. (laughs) Thank you for the clarification. (laughs) These are the kinds of things you'll need to carry me through today. My little hungover friend. Do you know where we're beginning today? We're starting with Luke from Survivor. Good girl. Now, this was perhaps the most uplifting story that's come out of reality television 
ever in Australia, I would argue. Totally. So a bit of background for those who haven't been following the story, or you might have seen the headlines around, but if you haven't been watching Survivor, it can be a little bit of a confusing story. So Luke Toki was a contestant on Australian Survivor back in 2017, and he was called like the people's champion or the king of the jungle when he appeared on the show because he was so good at the show, but he didn't win. Luke is so popular also because he has two sons, both on the autism spectrum. And by the time he appeared in this year's season of of Survivor, he had another baby who was born just six weeks before he started filming, but has cystic fibrosis. Yes. So he's got to support his three children with really severe um, health issues. They've got a lot of therapy to pay for. And he's come back on the show to try and win $500,000 in order to fund that, Michelle. He was by far and away the people's favorite, right? Everyone was rooting for Luke to win because of the narrative of his family life and what's going on behind the scenes. He was actually voted out before the final three. we made it to top four, was voted out by Pia and the other two guys. I think one's called Baden. 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 And I don't know Harry. who the other one. Harry. There you go. Everyone was distraught. People got so angry about him being voted off. And they did really channel that anger into a really quite a helpful way. They actually started creating GoFundMe pages. And one of those GoFundMe pages raised so much money, $550,000, that Luke Toki has ended up taking away more money from this competition than Pia, the winner, did. And it's been really interesting in the wake of all of those donations coming through in the space of days, like literally in the space of days, he said that he's not going to take any money above the $500,000 of prize money that he would have won and the rest will go to charity. So he's decided that it will go to a cystic fibrosis charity, the, any money raised above the five hundred grand. It is such a lovely story. The regional manager of GoFundMe, Nicola Britton, said that Toki's GoFundMe was the third biggest call for donations in the site's history to date Isn't and the wild? fastest growing this year. Wow, I think this so speaks to our love of the classic Aussie larrikin who's doing it a bit tough, like the Aussie battler narrative, I think. Yeah, I don't even know if it's a larrikin, but it's like the the ones who are doing their best. Yeah, like, but I, I think, think it's that. But I think him being that larrikin personality yeah. and him having that down-to-earth persona and even the vernacular that he uses is so endearing to the average Australian that we're so willing to jump on and help a man like Luke particularly because I think the situation he faces is something that the average person would see as being completely out of his control. Like he had no control over the challenges that his children face. And I think we have added sympathy for the people that we don't think have control over their scenario. There's definitely that element of the man who is literally fighting for his family week on week. And that narrative throughout the show did have that battler vibe to it. Well, it's a pretty extreme way to go and try and ensure your family's future. And you're watching that day in and day out. As a viewer, it's a pretty incredible thing to see. Kerry Sackville, who does listen to the show, Hello Kerry, wrote a story for News.com this week, which I thought was an interesting take, though not one I necessarily agreed with. Kerry said she donated to Luke's GoFundMe straight away. She was a big Survivor fan and was more than happy to throw out cash. But she came to the conclusion, too, that he didn't deserve more money than PR because he didn't actually win the competition. And through this, the competition sort of loses all validity and all kind of credibility. And she said, if you want to keep giving money to Luke, give money. I totally get it. I nearly gave him my apartment. But don't (laughs) think for a moment that he deserves more prize money than Pia Miranda. 
And I thought this was an interesting take because I think that it assumes that we can accept Survivor and this as just a game and we can't. Mm. Like it's making the assumption that we can separate those two things. And I think this is so much more than a game for a lot of Australians. Like after all, if we were able to see this as just a game, as just a reality show, then viewers would not have been trolling Pia so totally when she sent him home. When she did send him home, she was like inundated with snake emojis and trolling And I think a lot of people struggle with the idea that this is literally just a glorified kind of board game setup. I was so interested in general to see how much Survivor Australia took off this season. They dominated in ratings and Survivor Australia kind of struggled last year. It wasn't really clear whether or not we would go to another season. So I do wonder what it is about this year. The casting must have been so bang on for the Australian public and the demographic of viewers that they're trying to appeal to in that this show created a movement. People who watch Survivor, and I know this because my sisters and my mum and my brother watched it this year, were obsessive about Survivor this year and it was more than a show for them. It was almost like a ritual that they would plan when they would watch Survivor together so that they could then talk about the show and not spoil it for each other. I think it comes down to a couple of things. I think it's very of the moment for a show like Survivor to thrive. I think we're getting really tired of like the overly edited reality show. Like we're very cynical now. I also think there's something to say about the slow burn of wholesome TV. We saw that with uh, Have You Been Paying Attention? Also the Lego Mars. Like those kinds of shows have their moment. They might be a bit of a slow burn, but they always find their audience. And I think they always will find their audience. I did want to go back and forth in my own head this week to see if there was some like deeper meaning about this story with regards to what Australians are willing to give their money to and what they aren't and how quickly we are to respond to some things and how quickly we are able to turn our heads and ignore other very important difficult circumstances that people might be going through. But I think I just stopped myself and realized it is a lovely story. It speaks a bunch to how we can pull together when the right story comes along. And I think it does prove that fundamentally we do want the best for people who have a harder lot. Of course, I wish that that kind of empathy and compassion extended to a whole lot more issues in the country that we've got going on at the moment. But I don't think we can go and find much more meaning in it than that. Yeah, and to find a thread of positivity like you just did, I do believe at the very heart of it that if you give causes a face and a story and a voice that people will care. Totally. I think sometimes it's just that causes that really matter don't get that. And I think Luke Toki's cause is, of course, important. And I'm so thrilled that he got this. I, I agree with you. I wish that we could do that for other things that are pressing in Australian society. And I think it's so important to try and humanize these causes because if you gave the Australian public that level of insight and depth and richness to each cause, they probably would be as sympathetic towards it. I also think this shows how powerful the human spirit is, literally, that when we come together, we are more powerful than institutions or Channel 10 or whatever is in our way, that this is pretty bloody cool that Australians came together and everyone chipped in. If you look at the – I scrolled through the GoFundMe page myself before we – hopped on this recording everyone's chipping in five ten fifteen dollars it's not like people are chipping in two grand or anything like that this is a whole wave of people doing a little bit to have a huge chain reaction and i think that's pretty beautiful and from something as frivolous and ridiculous as reality television what a beautiful heartening story thank you next bitch
And now it's time for the quick and dirty. Every week we give you the top five news stories from the rough and tumble of the celebrity news cycle. Zara McDonald, you are taking it away. I sure am. My first story, having a baby will gain you tons of new Instagram followers. New study finds that is from bravotv.com and now I am pregnant. Yes. So apparently if you're an influencer, you are most likely to have the biggest spike in your following directly after having a baby. Kylie Jenner, who of course has a ton of followers regardless, It was something like her rate of following increased by 900% after having Stormy. And she gained almost a million followers within 24 hours of posting that first pregnancy announcement. It's pretty remarkable, isn't it? Watching how the key moments in a woman's life is almost always defined as a wedding, a pregnancy and a baby. And that those things do reflect inflated social media followings. I do have something to come back to you. The following increase of men who post about their babies is higher than women who post about their babies. So when a new dad yeah, posts his like, pregnant, post not that- pregnancy announcement, but posts his new baby announcement, he has a bigger spike in following than the, than the mother does. But also there's this idea that a guy is suddenly so much more attractive when he can care for a child. <laughs> Number two, Meghan Markle breaks from tradition by wearing a black, in capital letters, Valentino dress that costs a staggering $18,000 to mission no news wedding. As stylist brands the outfit choice, shocking. That is from the Daily Mail. Do you know what this reminds me of? Do you want to know why I put this story in? Do you remember the time I got trolled because I wore white to an engagement party and a whole raft of women said that I had broken some ancient dress code rule? No, people thought that you were like an attention seeker. It was so fucked. So this is the first time. So obviously I did not realize that you're not supposed to wear black to a wedding. I also in myself did not realize you're not supposed to wear white to an engagement party. I get not wearing a full white jumpsuit to a wedding, but white to an engagement party shouldn't matter. I would wear white to an engagement party. I've hijacked this entire story and made it about me. Do you think it matters that Meghan Markle wore black to a wedding? Like not at all. (laughs) Are we done? Do you think it matters that she bought an $18,000 dress with taxpayer money? Well, it depends if it actually is taxpayer money. She's probably got a bank of money and savings. Yeah, but that's taxpayer funded. No, but what about the money she made from suits? Like, we're assuming she didn't come into this marriage with any money. Why can't she spend that money on what she wants? Why does we have to make the assumption that it's all taxpayer? Do you think she would have made enough money from suits to be buying $18,000 dresses? Totally, because she'd be earning so much money from taxpayer money that all of that money she's got sitting in her bank account is disposable. I don't know if that's a bit ignorant because she also has a dress fund through taxpayer money that is obscene. Like, it's an obscene amount. It's hundreds of thousands of dollars a year just to dress Meghan Markle for events. Either it's the disposable money that she's had sitting there for ages and I would not be surprised if she's spending her own money on this. Or if it's the dress fund, that's not her issue for there being an exorbitant dress fund. Like, why doesn't the monarchy change its process if they don't want the criticism? So true. I was just being devil's advocate. You're (laughs) right. (laughs) Don't break anything, my little hungover bird. (laughs) Very aggressive. (laughs) It's called you a bird. A bird. My little hungover sparrow. (laughs) Number three, YouTube backtracks on taking badges away from creators after outcry. That is from The Verge. This is a very odd story this week, Michelle. Yeah, but YouTube continually seems to make snap decisions that end up being really shit that they have to backtrack on. Lots of YouTube creators and vloggers and influencers are pretty upset with the platform and the algorithm changes and all of the other things that have come over the last 18 months. For those who missed this, YouTube emailed thousands of creators and informed them that their verification badge would be removed because they had changed the parameters around which you could be deemed one of the top influencers on YouTube. So a whole bunch of really famous, popular YouTubers with 
with over a million followers, took to Twitter, took to Instagram, took to Facebook and said, what the fuck? Why is my verified badge being taken away from me? I've worked, say, 5, 10, 15 years to get this. Has YouTube been around for 15 years? Probably not. Then YouTube came out within 24 hours of announcing this change and sending out those thousands of emails and said, don't worry about it. We've changed our minds. You can all keep your badge. It's so interesting to see such a massive company like YouTube do a 180 because their users have asked for it. Like we see this time and time again with regards to Instagram, Facebook, even Snapchat back in the day when people used Snapchat, they would push out a new update and people would hate it. Like people would be outraged by it and that eventually people just settle and they haven't ever backtracked about it. I can't remember a time that Instagram, Facebook or Snapchat have actually backtracked on something. No. I think this example has far more to do with the power of the creator than the power of the average user. And if you're getting a whole bunch of really powerful influencers who are fucked off by your platform, who might move elsewhere, who aren't going to start posting as regularly because they don't think it's going to reach eyeballs. That's dangerous for YouTube's platform too. Especially with the rise of things like TikTok. And I won't even pretend to know what the fuck TikTok (laughs) is. Apparently it's a video streaming platform that is like small, I think short, sharp videos, right? Sounds like music. But isn't that like Vine was? No, I don't know. But TikTok's massive and it's growing really, really quickly. So I wonder if a part oh of God, this. We sound like grandmas when we host a pop culture podcast. I know. I wonder if an element of this was a bit of anxiety that YouTube will lose some traction to brands like TikTok. I just find that fascinating, as you said, that such a huge brand with so many employees and so much infrastructure internally could make such a ridiculous, pointless decision. Like, what's. Why waste your energy as a platform removing verified badges? from people that you've verified in the past. What does that serve and what good does that do other than piss off the very people who use your platform and make sure it's making money? Well, I imagine that there was a lot of thought that went into this and it's probably a very expensive decision not just to make but also to retract, which is weird to me. It's not like these kinds of decisions are going to be spur of the moment. Like these are very well thought out decisions that I imagine they're kind of trying to be risk averse in their decision making, but it's just not worked. It's strange. It's very, very strange. I do wonder if YouTube is struggling at the moment. I mean, you're right. TikTok does seem huge. Everybody seems to be on TikTok. I'm not. Should we get on it? Should we get on TikTok? I don't know. You guys tell us. Do you want us on TikTok? Are you on TikTok or is it for like 11 year old boys? TikTok is the destination for short form mobile videos. We could so do that. Also, Instagram TV is definitely starting to really make its mark now. I remember when it first came out, everybody was like, we don't really understand the point of this, like what it does, what purpose it serves, but I can definitely see how people are using Instagram watch over something like YouTube now. And I think that's a really huge factor to consider. The smartest thing Instagram did to promote Instagram TV was to give you the option to push a one minute snippet of your IGTV video onto your feed. That was the only way I started watching it. Uh, For me, it changed everything. Because you start watching a video and it says, watch the rest on IGTV. By that point, I've watched a minute and fuck yeah I'm hooked in (laughs) like I need to watch the rest and then it just flips over and it keeps shooting you things that it recommends that you'll like based on your algorithm again very clever and very user intuitive in that I don't need to go searching it will tell me what I like and it's almost bang on every time because it's all bachelor videos it's so funny how often are you going to watch one minute of a video and say you know what I'm going to I'm going to tap out here (laughs) number four Aaron Carter attacks Nick Carter on Twitter after Nick seeks a restraining order against him have you seen this story around I've seen it around and I haven't cared so please explain to me why I should care by the way that headline was from Vulture that it was from Vulture (laughs) thank you for doing my job for me so Nick Carter and his wife and his sister as well sought a restraining order against Aaron And Aaron, since a restraining order has been sought, has gone on a Twitter tirade. So he doesn't seem particularly well, which is the issue. And he's made some like 
crazy, crazy allegations. He's accused his brother Nick of committing sexual assault against multiple women over the course of their careers. He also has repeatedly claimed that Nick broke his nose at the Nickelodeon's Kids' Choice Awards. It's just like this stream of consciousness on his Twitter. It reminds me a tiny bit of when Kanye sometimes used to go a little wild on his Twitter Reminds me of Amanda Bynes. Exactly like that. They're pretty... um, Scathing. Scathing, absolutely. So... It's a pretty public family fallout from a pretty high-profile family, which I just find is really sad watching it all play out. Is there any insight as to how Aaron Carter might be doing? Like, is there any news reports on why they sought the restraining order in the first place? Well, Nick Carter says he was worried for the safety of his wife and unborn child. Wow. So that is bleak. Yeah, very, very bleak. And story number five, Michelle, the Bachelor finale just threw everyone off by showing the winner getting out of the car first. That is from now to love. What a finale. I I have a tradition with my best girlfriends of watching the finale together every single year. And I didn't think that we'd be able to top the emotion of what was his face? Curly haired NRL player. Honey Badger. Honey Badger. That was one of the biggest pools of camaraderie I've seen in a very long time. That finale. Yeah. The sisterhood of the Honey Badger screwing all of the Bachelor women over. This year almost topped it. When we saw Chelsea Shoe get out of the car first, we lost our tiny minds. I can't even tell you, Zara, I freaked out. I put something on the Shameless Instagram page straight away because I lost my tiny mind because Chelsea was by far and away the favorite. And of course she did end up winning, but the Bachelors really pulled it off. They really did the switcheroo of putting the winner out of the car first and everyone fell for it. Props to them. Like, they've obviously sat in a room and realised. And also, we came to this realisation about 10 years ago. But, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, they're 10 years behind us. But Back in Tim Robard season. <laughs> like, props to them for realising. And just to, like, fuck with people a little bit, because they knew it was going to go bananas. Like, mm-hmm. a great publicity stunt for them. They knew Twitter and Instagram would have gone off. So I take my hat off to them for doing that. Next year, I wonder whether we'll be really sceptical, whether they'll change it, whether they'll go back to the I think they only need to do it once for us to then be thrown forever. It doesn't matter whose shoe gets out of the car first until we see The Bachelor say, I love you, I want to be with you. We won't believe it. But they'll never not break up with the person first because you always need to finish on a high and finish with the love. But I reckon what would be really smart, what I was thinking they were going to do is they were going to do a split screen and The Bachelor would give one word to Abby or one sentence to Abby and then one sentence to Chelsea and it goes along. How good would that be? listening do that next year that would be so good a split screen where you pause one side and then play the other one would be amazing television and if they do it what's the date today we're saying this is on shameless first because i swear to god that's a great idea it's a wonderful idea but in doing that they have to acknowledge that the show is more about drama than love i don't care we're, that that, horse that is will be bolted. that will be hard for them to do i have to say though michelle this might be the 10th year in a row again that i have predicted the winner of the bachelor you are like I that will octopus. say, like, I don't give you compliments very easily because <laughs> we don't have that kind of friendship. You have a talent, my dear. Like, you are I'm very talented. Things left, right, and center. Do you remember that very famous octopus? Or I don't even know if it was an octopus <laughs> that used to, like, they used to put it in a pool and then they'd put, like, two soccer teams next yep. to each other. You're the octopus. I'm the octopus. You are absolutely the octopus. We should, like, you know how um, Hamish and Andy had Fred Bassett, the greyhound that they used to race and win every race? What can I do with you? Just take how, you around and get you to pick things. Tour <laughs> <laughs> Australia and get you to pick winners. <laughs> I'm not a fucking toy. <laughs> I'm human too. But I do wonder how I can possibly monetize this. Well, as we know, my sister Claire is pregnant and 
Claire has already said that she's going to give you the top 100 names of girls and boy names because apparently the names that she and Steve want to call their baby are on there. We're going to give that to you before she announces the name. And if you pick those baby names... There's 100 names. It's a pretty hard task. I will demand that I get to interview Claire before I pick so I can sense a vibe. You know what? I back you. Should we do this for audio? I absolutely will do it for the podcast. Everything's content. I Claire back you. happy to be interviewed on the podcast? Oh, Claire loves being interviewed on the podcast. All right. I've got like five minute interview. I'll ask her some like quick fire questions to get a vibe about what the baby is going to be like. Okay. Suddenly we've moved from The Bachelor to Claire's baby, which is a remarkable talent for you to bring Claire's baby back into the fold. I will give a shout out to Abby Chatfield, who of course was the runner up, who posted a really honest and candid video in the Shameless podcast group in the hours after the winner was revealed. Abby had had a few wines. She had been crying as she said and that video actually ended up making news websites from our little tiny Facebook group. It so did. Abby thank you so much for coming in there. Everyone's always welcome but I remember we both were getting like text messages left right and center from people being like hurry up and approve Abby's going trying to go live and I'm sitting out for dinner <laughs> being like oh my god what's going on but thank you for that and um, thank you for everybody getting around our bachelor threads too. It's yeah. Been a fun time. We should do a bachelor podcast or something. Oh we so should. Hey that's all I've got for you for today. Thank you so much. The Bachelor finale aired this week, which coincided very nicely with its former contestants beginning to very quietly update their Instagram bios with business ventures ready to go live. Of note was one by contestant Helena, a health coach who announced the impending launch of the Weight Loss Trilogy alongside her sister, also a health coach, and her mum, a GP. Mish, there was a bunch of chatter in our Facebook group about this, but that namely centred around the name. Is it problematic, many ask, that you'd be launching a weight loss program so blatantly in 2019? Where do you stand on it all? I, before I say anything, I do not know what it's like to feel uh, a constant barrage of criticism for my weight. I've never been uh, marginalized or criticized or shamed for my weight. And therefore I can't approach this with the same level of insight that someone who is of a bigger size would be able to. First things first, I find it very ironic that people slammed contestants like Abby for supposedly trying to leverage their time on The Bachelor into a career move when it seems that that was actually Helena's tactic all along. The timing here is really interesting. She launched the announcement. She told people she was part of this business with her mum and her sister on the day she was voted out of The Bachelor when she knew that her Instagram audience would be at its absolute peak and the number of eyeballs on her profile would be at its absolute peak power to her but I think that timing absolutely needs to be acknowledged before we say anything else the name and the criticism of the name did make me feel exhausted I understand that people don't like weight loss uh, programs and they don't like weight loss marketing in 2019 because a lot of weight loss marketing is problematic do I think this instance of weight loss marketing so far is problematic no I don't I think the Weight Loss Trilogy is kind of a great name because it's telling you exactly what it's about. What I don't like is when people Trojan horse you with really harmful diet marketing and pretend that it's something else like wellness. This is telling you up front, hey, we're here to help you lose weight. And that's important because we shouldn't call, we need to call a spade a spade. Well, I agree with that. There is something I appreciate and respect about calling a spade a spade rather than pretending it's not about what the crux of it is. 
I do disagree with you, though, when you say, well, she's not Trojan horsing us about wellness because she's a health and wellness coach. And I think some of the commentary around this is the conflation between wellness and weight loss. And I think that's a really, really confusing one because I don't think those things necessarily overlap. Like, isn't wellness about being well? And when did being well mean about being thin? I think health is so much more than that. And I think perhaps the title of the business should reflect that point if she's a health and wellness coach. That said, taking me back to our initial question in, is this blatantly problematic? I do feel like I'm in a couple of minds about this. And so it will take me a little bit to sort of work through my thoughts. My first and overriding point is this one though. I don't love it, but does Helena owe me anything? Like if she wants to promote her version of health, which I don't necessarily agree with, then who am I to say that she can't? That said, I'm also kind of happy to pick apart the ways that it does play into diet culture and the damaging effects of conflating health and thinness. Like I'm happy to put all of those things part of the same conversation. I think this is where I'm starting to feel a bit exhausted though. I think weight loss has its merits. I'm not saying every single person needs to try and lose weight. I'm not saying any person needs to try and lose weight if that's not what they want to do. However, the science doesn't lie that in some circumstances, losing weight can be for the benefit of your health. And I think it's absolutely valid that we critique diet culture. It's absolutely valid that we critique the commodification of weight loss programs. However, let's not get confused. In many circumstances, if you are very, very overweight and putting your heart under strain or putting your body under strain in general, losing weight can be beneficial. Am I for diet programs? Am I for diet culture? No, because 95% of fad diets don't work and people rebound anyway. Am I for a program that tells people it's for weight loss and is founded by a GP who has been working in weight loss clinics for 25 years? Yes, I am. Helena's mum, whose name is Kathy, has been a registered GP for decades. And according to my research, she's a fellow of the Royal Australian College of General Practitioners. She also has a Bachelor of Medicine and a Bachelor of Surgery. If there's anyone that I want to be behind a weight loss program to promote health, it's probably someone like this. I totally understand the optics of having Helena, who is a very slim, very attractive reality TV show contestant who doesn't have a medicine degree. The optics of that are quite bad. However, there is a GP behind this, and I think that's really important. If there were two health coaches and nothing else, I would agree and I would slam this. There's a GP and there is science behind this, and therefore I don't see it as problematic. I do think that it's a very important point that there is a GP behind it, which is lacking in so many health programs online. I think when you're talking about, and when you mentioned before, that we've got to a point where we can't have conversations about weight loss in a way that doesn't conflate weight loss all the time with diet, I actually don't think we're at a point where we can have that conversation publicly because I think we're not at a healthy enough space publicly because so often they are co-opted. Conversations about weight loss are co-opted by the diet community. I think we need to be very careful about how we talk about weight loss. Like I wish we were in a better, smarter position, but I don't think we are. And I think we need to be smarter about how we frame our conversations about weight loss. The issue is not for me weight loss per se, because I agree with you on many of your points, but maybe the flippancy with which it's used in a business title in 2019, I don't think we're ready for it, to be totally honest. I think the other thing to note, which is what you also touched on, is the optics of having three very thin women promoting weight loss. It can be an odd look and that doesn't mean they can't do it, but I think they can. people can rightly feel strange about that. You have to be very careful not to peddle the line of thought that health is being thin. And I think given the name of the program, it'll be very hard for them not to do that. So criticism in that vein, I think is important and justified. I think so. And I think in myself, I know that 
I am naturally at a slimmer weight than the average human being and that's genetic and that's throughout my whole family. And I think it's pretty erroneous to pretend that just because you are slim, it means that you can educate other people on how to be slim because everyone has different metabolisms, right? So much of it is genetic. Like so much of it is genetic. I think the other thing that people might be wondering, which I think is an important distinction for us to make is, okay, well, what's the difference between this and Dasha from last year promoting her water fast or Kim Kardashian promoting her diet lollipops? Because those things are fundamentally to me dangerous and a crock science wise. And I think for us, we keep coming back to if the science is there and the science stacks up and there's a GP guiding weight loss, who's to say that people aren't allowed to lose weight? I think my outrage in this context sits on a scale. And I think that's what I've been thinking a lot when I've been reading and thinking about this story in that I'm not stoked with it, but I also think my outrage will always sit on a sliding scale. This is at the tiny, tiny, tiny end. I don't even think outrage is the right word. I don't think I have any level of negativity towards this yet. And I will use the word yet because the actual program itself hasn't launched. It's in its infancy. We only really have a few posts on an Instagram page to go off. I think the reason I don't have any outrage for this yet is because nothing's happened yet. And I think we can really preemptively get our backs up about things and see the word weight loss and instantly feel rage when we don't even know what the fuck this business is yet. It hasn't done anything yet. Don't you think that's human nature though? How often do we sit at work and get preemptively annoyed about something that hasn't happened and then we find ourselves spiraling about this stupid hypothetical? Of course. But I think it's also then important to counter that with a bit of lateral thinking and go... I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying it happens. I disagree with the point that you made before that that you don't think we're at a point yet where we can use the word weight loss in a company name because I think it's actually really important to be transparent with the language we're using here and transparent with what we're doing with companies. I think if they use the wellness trilogy and then had a weight loss program totally. that, it'd be way, way it's worse. Not, it's not that it, I don't think it can be in the title. I just don't think that we're at a point where we can have productive conversations about weight loss yet. I don't think we're at a public level where that can happen yet. I think we need to acknowledge that people have agency as well in that if you want to lose weight, maybe this is the perfect thing for you. And if there is science backing it up and if there's a an expert who seems to have a wealth of knowledge behind her backing this up, maybe... Maybe it is perfect for you. And we who are we to point our fingers at that person and say, no, this is bad for you. You shouldn't do that. Like all this moralizing over this program and the title of the company is very unusual to me. Women are allowed to make decisions about their own bodies. And if you want to lose weight, then so far from the very, very limited amount of information that we have at hand, this is probably a good option because it is backed by science. I do want to flag because remember a couple of weeks ago, it might have been a couple of months ago, we absolutely took the New York Times to town about that article they wrote about shredding for the wedding, right? And I would imagine that there are some people who want us to connect the dots and say, well, you say it's okay to lose weight in some contexts and not okay in others. And I think the overriding point is it's okay to do whatever the fuck you want with your body at all times. It's always important to recognize the context in which you're making those decisions. And I think when we talked about wedding culture and weight loss, those things are so neatly tied in this kind of fucked vortex of um, pressure and the wedding industrial complex. Like there's so much other stuff going on there that means your decisions often are being informed by forces above you rather than your own agency. And that New York Times piece wasn't speaking to a doctor about how to help people's heart conditions. It was speaking to a PT about how to make your bat fat look okay in a certain style of dress. That was totally fucked up that story and made out that only size eight women can wear certain styles of dresses, which I completely disagree with. Totally. I just wanted to draw that parallel because I imagine some people might have had some questions. Absolutely. I also think that Helena never actually promised us to be much more than she is. She's a reality star and this is hardly new from reality stars. When you mentioned at the start that the timing was 
interesting. I actually don't even know that that's a relevant point. Like, of course, she's going to push it out on the day that she was um, eliminated. That is when her relevancy and her currency is highest. Like, I don't think that's a problem. I actually don't think it's relevant. That's fair enough. I think it's just worth calling out that when people are trolling one contestant for supposedly leveraging that show for commercial gain, it's not very fair to say that for one person. But when this person is blatantly doing it, as I said, power to her, but again, call it what it is. She's using that show to promote her business. There's no coincidental timing going on here. It is fascinating though that this conversation popped up in our Facebook group in the same week where diet teas were cracked down Mm. on by Instagram. For those who missed this, Instagram will now be removing posts to all users that make a miraculous claim about a certain diet or weight loss product that is linked to a commercial offer like a discount code. Therefore, any post that you see promoting a product, say a diet tea with a caption such as this helped me lose five kilograms really quickly with a discount code to be purchased will be removed from the platform. They are cracking down on all diet tea messaging. And I think if we're going to channel our outrage, I think it needs to be for causes like that. I think if we're if we're stressed and angry and disappointed with how prevalent diet culture is at the moment, I think our energy is of best use cracking down on things like this and creating actual meaningful change than wasting our energy on the weight loss trilogy of which we're not even sure what it is yet. Yeah, and let me tell you right now, if the weight loss trilogy ends up going down this really shitty path where they employ influencers to try and conflate wellness with weight all the time or they try to imply that laxatives are a healthy way to reduce your size, you can be sure I will slam them on this very podcast. But until they give us something, until they show us that they want to package weight loss as something that's sexy or easy or instantaneous, I don't think we can actually have a problem with this. I think it's a little bit erroneous to get our backs up already because so far from what we can see they probably will be going about this quite thoughtfully and diligently and if there's a doctor behind it in my mind you would hope that the care for their clients is their utmost priority well I don't think it's necessarily wonderful or fabulous I just think that in this case like I said before my outrage does sit on a spectrum and I do think we actually have bigger fish to fry Speaking of bigger fish to fry, this week an Australian Instagram influencer, who we actually won't be naming in this segment, posted a photo of her young family squinting in the sun. On the photo, Zara, she wrote the caption, meet the newins. This influencer is not Vietnamese, Zara, and yet made the inference that the family's squinting eyes made them look Vietnamese, hence the newin reference. When the influencer was called out on her racist comment, she told followers that you can't have a laugh at me for some things, then get your back up because I wrote a Vietnamese last name in a caption. A screenshot of this post was shared in our Facebook group, Shameless Podcast Community, by listener Alyssa, who wrote, it's frustrating that in 2019, people are still not open to productive conversations and defend their racism as just taking the mickey. What did you make of this mess? I was really, really angry watching this unfold. Like I was almost bubbling because not just of not just because of what happened and what she did and what she uploaded and her caption. And it wasn't just that, Michelle. Once her caption said the new ones, I think that there was something else in the caption that we missed that had been edited that encouraged her followers to come into her comments and quote Vietnamese women who work in nail salons in like a clearly offensive play on accented English. And I'm not going to repeat the generalizations because they were actually fucking gross. 
I think what made me bubble with rage was not just the issue at hand, but her reaction to it, rejecting people who took issue by saying you can't pick and choose when you laugh along, by deleting negative comments, and then pushing a non-apology when the negative comments outweighed the positive ones. So it did make me very angry, but I wasn't I wasn't even surprised that there was just another racist incident with the influencers who refused to acknowledge when they might be wrong. Yeah, I was surprised. I'll say that. Really? I was so stunned that someone could be so overtly racist, casually racist. I'll call it casual racism because I don't think there was a whole lot of aggression behind it, but it was fucking racist. Like, I don't mean to be hyperbolic about the whole thing, (laughs) but this was racism. And the fact that people didn't want to call it racism was befuddling to you and I to a lot of people in our community. Before we get into it, I know a lot of people will be asking, why don't you want to name the influencer at hand? There's a couple of reasons behind this. Number one, it's not like this influencer has a million followers. Not at all. This influencer has a pretty comparable following to Zara and I and Shameless Podcast on Instagram. And we've already discussed this in the Facebook group and hundreds of people have already held this influencer to account and told her it's racist. We're not sure, Zara, that sending more people to her account will do any good. She's already made her profile private and she's already acknowledged that she's seen all the comments calling her out for her racism. So it's not like she doesn't know that this has offended a bunch of people. She knows that this has offended thousands of people already and getting more thousands on the bandwagon won't do any good. Well, I think there's a couple of things to this because we have gone back and forth on whether we would name this influencer. And I do think it's important that we justify why we won't. We have to think very long and hard about who we name on this podcast because the audience is pretty strong and it's pretty big now. And there's a lot of power that comes with that. And I think it doesn't become a very even struggle when we start to name and shame unnecessarily. And I think I'll say unnecessarily exactly because of what you said. I think we've called it racism. She knows that a lot of people think it's racist. And I think we can have a very healthy, productive and important conversation now about the impacts of those actions without the person being part of it. And for that reason as well, we're also going to delete the original thread and post from the Facebook group because the conversation's been had. And if you'd like to come discuss this with us without using the influencer name, we encourage you to do that on the episode thread that will be in the group this morning. We do also want to discuss her actions and the actual issue of casual racism rather than the influencer herself. I think it's really important to do that. I also think it's really important for anyone who's listening to this and going, oh, well, I feel outrage fatigue about this as well. I feel outrage fatigue about the weight loss trilogy and I feel outrage fatigue about meet the new ones. You, if you are white, you don't have the right to feel outrage fatigue over this. You have no right to feel tired about this specific instance because racism hasn't affected you and you don't get to turn around and be like, oh, I'm going to throw my hands in the air because I feel a bit tired now and I don't want to deal with all this negativity. We need to channel our energy into making sure this doesn't happen again and again and again. And we need to open our minds as to why this is so offensive to so many people. And if you are listening to this and saying, oh, well, I'm just a bit tired of it all. To be blunt, probably not the podcast for you, probably not the Facebook group for you. And it's not about you. I do want to add as well that this particular influencer has made other racist comments after people went back through her feed and found other captions. She has made racist and stereotyping comments around Indigenous people and around Indigenous people from just the ones that we've found. I think I wanted to read out one of her rejections of someone taking issue with what she wrote because I do think it's an important example 
of what a really terrible reaction looks like. She said, everything I do on here and all the things that make you laugh are at the expense of others, whether it's my own kids or my dad sleeping upright or myself. I take the mickey out of my own family so a race isn't going to be off limits, especially when it's all just super lighthearted. We all have our eyes shut simultaneously and you can't have a laugh about me referencing my vagina as a lasagna or my son as a serial killer, but then get your back up because I wrote a Vietnamese last name as a caption. I'm happy to cop criticism on the chin, but I don't think it's warranted. You can't pick and choose when you want to laugh along with my sense of humor. Yes, you can. This is what I want to say. You're not just using your last name, you're reinforcing stereotypes. Not all jokes are made equal and people absolutely can pick and choose what they laugh about. You're not happy to cop criticism on the chin if legitimate criticism comes and you can't face it. That's arrogant. That's really, really arrogant to say that you're happy to cop criticism, but when legitimate, like the most fine, legitimate form of criticism comes and you shut everything down and you delete the negative comments. Totally. I think what stunned me about this and the entire conversation is how so many white people, particularly on the influencers comment thread and some people in our Facebook group pretended that calling someone a racist or calling an action racist is somehow more offensive than actually saying or doing something racist. That is such an indictment on white people and the way we think. It is far more offensive to make a racist comment against Vietnamese people than to call out an influencer for doing that. And I cannot believe that the comments on our thread were labelled bullying. And they were only labelled bullying by some. But I think the people that called that thread bullying against the influencer need to look at themselves really long and hard. Because calling people who call out racism bullies is perhaps the most dangerous silencing tactic we can use. We need to discuss racism. We need to use the word racism It is so important that we do that. And let's be really clear, calling something out as racist that is offensive to a whole group of people is not bullying. Well, this is the thing that got me. Calling people out isn't bullying. It's not abuse just because there might be a wave of it. It's called holding people to account. And I think it makes us all smarter and it makes us all better and it makes us all more compassionate people. You can't agree that people should be called out on racism and then demand it only be done so to a certain degree or for it to be palatable. Conversations around racism aren't meant to make you feel comfortable. They aren't meant to be hand-holding conversations. It's like people want to be handheld through this conversation and people want to feel good while we're talking about something so complex and something so emotional. There are conversations about like the fusions of facts and feelings and it's actually got nothing to do with you. I think the other thing with this as well is that if you're going to profit off of following in one way or another, and that doesn't necessarily mean making cash from that page, but you profit off having a following one way or another. You also need to take the good with the bad, which means accepting when people hold you to account. Absolutely. I also don't have much time for apologies that very quickly jump from saying I got it wrong to then very quickly in the next sentence saying I'm now being bullied because that's just self-victimization. You are positioning yourself as the victim in this. Do not even bother if in the next breath you're going to to try and position yourself as the one who's now copying it. Own what you said. You can grow from racism. People can say really racist things and perhaps be influenced by the subconscious biases that we've all grown up in as white people and they can grow from them. But you are never going to grow from it if you try to act like you are the victim after being called out for racist behavior. Finish your apology in a strong way that says, I will learn and I will be better. Do not finish your apology by saying, I had to make my profile private. All these hundreds of people are now calling me names. Don't even mention I'm a mother. It's entirely irrelevant. That's the line that actually almost frustrated me the most. So there was this one line 
line on the apology or the non-apology that said, uploading this again, but with an apology, I honestly never meant to offend anyone with last night's post. I don't have a malicious bone in my body and honestly meant absolutely nothing by it. I'm just a normal everyday mum of three that made a bad tasting joke and I'm truly sorry if I've upset anyone in the process. That line, I'm a normal everyday mum of three, frustrated me hugely as if being a normal mum excuses you from being part of a dialogue that understands what race, what's racist and what's not, or that being a normal mum of three means you should be protected from being held to account. Like, are there different standards for you? What's the relevance of that point? What tr- point are you trying to make by saying that? It sounds to me like you're trying to say, gosh, I'm just a normal everyday mum of three who didn't know these things. But the reality is you're a mum of three who is trying to build a community and a following and are happy to profit of being a normal everyday mum of three when it suits you. The more we make excuses for our ignorance, the worse off we all are. Yeah, and I know people might be listening to this and going, well, you're two white women speaking about racism. And And I would argue that two white women being willing to call out racism is really bloody important right now because people of colour have been trying to call out racism for so long and this can't just be a conversation being promulgated by people of colour. White people need to be able to point to each other and say, you know what, that's really shit and you need to do better because without white voices, this is just going to exist in groups of minorities and it needs to go beyond that because it's white people who are the ones who are being racist again and again and again and again you can grow from racism if someone calls you a racist or says you've done something racist use as an opportunity to do better every white person has grown up in a system in australia that favors them and if you don't believe that then go look up the studies that indicate in australia people of color with ethnic names need to submit up to 60 percent more job applications each than people with anglo-saxon names just to get a job It's not surprising that growing up in a country with a racism problem, you might have adopted unconscious bias. That means you are exhibiting casual racism towards minorities. Maybe you can't help that. What you can help is acknowledging that bias, acknowledging your ignorance and acknowledging that you did something wrong that is your fault and that you need to do better on. I wanted to read out a comment from one of our listeners and Facebook community group members, Liv Richmond, who has given us permission today to read this out. She commented on the thread and she said, I'm more of an interested observer in this group, but this Instagram post and the comments that go with it make me feel sad and a bit shit. My eyes have always been something I've been very self-conscious of and people, including my friends, to be honest, have always been quite racist, but I've always laughed it off. It's stuff like this that makes me think, see, this is why I get mad. All my friends will be taking photos of each other and they'll go, oh my God, no, ooh, delete that. I look so Asian as if it's a negative thing and that they're ugly because of it. Am I just being sensitive here? I've always wondered what is a joke and what isn't okay. And most people that know me think it's okay to make racist jokes because I was adopted as a baby into a white family and have lived a very white privileged Western life. But sometimes these comments really hurt and I hate these influencers with big platforms think it's okay to say shit like that. That's so great. There was a really great piece by John Blake in CNN Online that I really want to read out as well. This paragraph really stood out to me. I think it's really important. A standard critique by the right is that people of color overuse the word racist. We think of ourselves as victims too much. We want to make everything about race. I've seen those types of people in action. I had a high school buddy who wore a t-shirt that read, is it because I'm black? We all laughed with him because we knew characters like that who seemed to see a racist conspiracy in everything. But over the years, I've discovered that many people people of color have abandoned talking to white people too directly about racism. It's too much work and too much risk. We lose our friends, our jobs, and in my case, we lose our relatives. I think we need to talk about this and keep talking about it. And I think we need to use the word racism because when we use euphemisms and different words to describe racism, we're really just covering up and masking the problem at hand. It's racism. It's not 
evil to call someone racist. It's not evil to call an action or a word or a slur racist. And it's if not that's too what it far. is, say it. Well, I think we come back to this point in the podcast a lot. I don't know how many different ways we can say it, but racism doesn't look like what you think it does. And I think that's the point we need to push and that's why we need to use the word racism. I also wanted to finish on this quote from Robin DiAngelo, who is the New York Times bestselling author of White Fragility, why it's so hard for white people to talk about racism. And she writes a lot really beautifully on intention. She says, I think intentions are irrelevant. It's nice to know you had good intentions, but the impact of what you did was harmful. And we need to let go of our intentions and attend to the impact to focus on that. We're never going to be able to come to an agreement on intentions. You cannot prove somebody's intentions. They might not even know their intentions. And if they weren't good, they're probably not going to admit that anyway. The question I ask is, how does this function? I think the impact here of the action is what's relevant. I think we try to spend so much time talking about intentions. I meant no harm, but I do genuinely believe it's a waste of space and a waste of conversation because most people do have good intentions and a lot of people still fuck up. One of my favorite resources on this, and I'd recommend that every single white person listening to this at the moment is actually in the Washington Post. It's written by Rebecca Haynes, who is white and researches racism in America. The piece is called Dear Fellow White People, Here's What to Do When You're Called Racist. I will put it in the show notes because I think it's absolutely absolutely crucial reading. And I think it's very, very important to check yourself if you're called racist and to really make sure that your reaction is a productive and helpful and healthy one. So unwinding now, I'm not as angry as I once was, but I think we need to call this what it is. And I'm sorry if this segment made you feel uncomfortable, but if it did, again, examine why that might be. Yeah. And as always, we have a thread in the Facebook group for this episode. So come onto that thread, chat to us about anything we spoke about, but particularly this segment, um, because I think the more conversations we can have on this, the more productive, healthy conversations we can have on this, the better, smarter, and more compassionate we will all be. Absolutely. I think that's all we've got time for. That is all we've got time for. We survive. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Shameless. We, as always, are in our Facebook group, Shameless Podcast Community. We are also on Instagram at Shameless Podcast. Buy our merch. Buy our merch. Buy our charity merch. Support the Sacred Heart Women's House. It is such a great cause and we are so thrilled to be partnering with them again. $10 from every shirt. You will look great. Everyone will know that you're very hyperbolic like Zara and I are. Go Tigers. I was going to cross say, your fingers and toes. Next time we record for a Monday episode, you will know whether Richmond won or not. If you have a ticket, I'll sell myself. I'll sell my soul. Oh, sell yourself. I'll sell your soul. I'll I reckon sell my on, soul. I reckon on that note, we're out. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> <laughs>Hello guys, Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse. If you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.